1: Hello and welcome to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHDTV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So glad you could be here today. And I believe we have in the house Dr. X, Javier Figueroa, if, if he's uh, temporary away from his computer, he'll be popping in, in a little bit. Um, regular listeners uh, know our Dr. X, he'll be popping in. Um our, we've got a couple of great guests today. Our first guest that I'm going to be bringing on is an investigative journalist. And our second hour is an amazing activist advocate in the state of Washington with some great information um, and really a great role model for um, how to behave in these crazy times. Um, so let me go ahead and just uh, bring on right away the. Uh, His name is Jeremy R. Hammond. you got to put that R in there so that you you get to the right website. He is an independent journalist and the author of several books, including one of my very favorite books, The War on Informed Consent, which is about the attack on Dr. Paul Thomas. Um, And I love uh, what, Jeremy, what you say um, about yourself on here. You say you expose dangerous state propaganda That serves to manufacture consent for criminal government policies. That is like such a tight sentence that I would love to unpack. (laughs) I love that sentence. It's almost like poetry to me because there's so much in there. So welcome, Jeremy.
2: Thank you. Nice to see you again.
1: Nice to see you. Yeah, I've missed you. You've been so busy. You've had your head down doing yeah. your great investigative journalist. And I so admire you for tuning out the world so that you could really dive in and do your work. It's really easy to get caught up in the nonsense and then feel like you're just skimming the surface. And we need individuals like you who, who dive deep. And there we've got Dr. X is with us. Hey. Hello, everyone. <laughs> oh, you're sounding good. Good. Excellent. Yeah, Good to have you here. So, gentlemen, um, before we really get going, I want to share with you the good news that tomorrow is, I believe it's the second annual World Ivermectin Day. So I want to encourage people. One of the best places to get all the information is at the FLCCC. Um, Their front page is talking about World Ivermectin Day. And, you know, there's there's just so much information here. If you explore this website, explore their links, you're going to find all the science that you need, all of the information, you know, about the politics, um, the fraud, all of the things preventing... <laughs> Really good uptake of ivermectin, um, but tomorrow's the day to celebrate and to spread the news wherever you are. Even if you just tell one person where to go get good information, you know, that can be your celebration. Uh, Last year, I remember when I was still in Washington State, I had prepared... um, a bunch of handouts and I had some newspapers. What newspaper did I have with me? It might've been druthers. I don't remember, but I handed out a lot of stuff, including information about ivermectin. And I walked through my whole neighborhood and I handed out, I think a hundred packets of information, talked to my neighbors. It was fantastic. I didn't get organized to do that in my new neighborhood um, this year, unfortunately, but I am proud to say that I, I helped a little bit and get good Uh, legislation passed so that people in the state of Tennessee can purchase ivermectin over the counter from a pharmacist. So I kind of feel like I've I've kind of done my bit. But still, we need the public to understand um, that ivermectin is a fantastic, very, very safe and effective product. And, um, you know, despite the propaganda, people are discovering it. And they're saving their own lives right
2: and the censorship you know i was um banned by linkedin recently i don't know if you knew that bernadette yeah. um my account was suspended uh in one of the articles that i had written that they named as misinformation they said that i had violated their terms of, of their user agreement by mm-hmm. spending misinformation one of the articles i wrote was an article on ivermectin because there was a study that had come out and the mainstream media all the headlines were reporting how the study showed ivermectin doesn't work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you look at the study, (laughs) actually the patients who were on the ivermectin treatment did better. It just wasn't statistically significant, suggesting that maybe had they had a larger uh, study population, had they had more patients in the study, Mm -hmm. they might have reached statistical significance. So it didn't show that ivermectin doesn't work it just it, it just showed you know that, that it suggested actually that it might very strongly suggested that it might mm-hmm. um it just the, the results just didn't reach statistical significance so i wrote an article correcting the mainstream media's misinformation saying no the study didn't show that it doesn't work
1: mm-hmm. that's so <laughs> LinkedIn, funny
2: and that was one of the articles that linkedin banned me for another the other big one was uh, my my paper on uh, how the CDC finally put out a paper ad- admitting that natural immunity is superior, uh, is superior to the vaccine induced immunity. And I got banned for, for sharing that fact as well.
1: And what is history going to show about all this nonsense? Huh? It's, it's, it's so absurd and they're having to backtrack. I mean, all the things that people had gotten banned for eventually months or years later is found out to be absolute truth. Exactly. Where's our apologies, you know,
2: you know, the origin of the virus, they were saying yeah. that's this conspiracy theory and you can't talk about it being of a lab origin. And then they had to admit, yeah. that, well, we don't know the origin of the virus. And that's a legitimate hypothesis. And there's so many examples.
1: Yeah. And then um, Deborah Burks, I guess, has a book out now that in in this way, <laughs> <God. laughs> you guys are laughing. So I don't remember what it's called. Do you guys remember what it's called?
3: I think the right title is called Whitewashing History.
1: But yeah. That's just me. <laughs> and boasting about it
3: and boasting about it so
1: you, I mean, it's so funny what, because her her perspective and this I think this is really telling when somebody really, truly believes what they're doing is right. When she really hated Trump and thought he was just steering the country down the wrong path and she really believed vaccines and masks were going to save the world. And so she boasts and I'm just getting this second hand. I'm hearing other reports on it. I haven't read it myself and I should do so so I could report accurately. But the excerpts being read show that she boasts that she intentionally presented information to the president and the people around him in such a way that it skewed the information mm-hmm. so they would do and say what she wanted them to do and say. She boasts about it because she really thought that maybe the world would say, yay, good for you. Good for you fooling the president of the United States. I mean, what? <laughs>
2: Well, she still seems to be under the, the delusion that the lockdowns were effective. <laughs> like, you know, I'm sorry, but the, the the claims that the claimed benefits that the, that they said that the lockdowns would have never manifested in the data. And that's just no. indisputable. No. And it's just amazing that she's under this yeah. delusion that because that's I haven't read the book either, but I've read like Jeffrey Tucker's review and a number of other right. reviews. And, and, you know, yeah. there are extensive quotes from the book where she does exactly that boasting about how she like deceived the white house into, into implementing the lockdown orders and things and and recommending the lockdowns to the state governments. And uh, isn't that
3: ordinary, isn't that a felony to knowingly lie to the president of the United States
1: (laughs) or something?
3: (laughs) I mean, there's probably federal laws restricting, you know, the, uh, federal employees of knowingly lying or misinforming.
4: Yeah. Well, and that, that reminds me also
2: of a, a recent testimony of as She was – I forget the this, the, uh, the representative in Congress, but she was asked, you know, well, you, we were – you know, you guys told everyone that the vaccines would stop infection and transmission. Yeah. So were you lying or guessing was the question? And, of course, guessing and presenting that as scientifically proven fact is still yeah. lying. It's so still the lying. The question was kind of – you know. <laughs> it was the wrong question. But but her answer was really telling because she didn't deny that the government had had given false information to the public. She didn't even try to deny no. that. She said it was hope. It was hope. It was hope. It was, it was, faith. hope. It was People- a faith-based policy recommendation. Yeah. That was her answer
1: so people lost their jobs families and divorces have happened there are children who've never met their grandparents because of the misinformation and the lies told about these shots Mm -hmm. i mean it is horrific the amount of harm that has been done by these lies that they thought were like noble lies you know it it shows and that noble lie you know, you know, Jeremy. The noble lie about vaccines has been going on for decades, where they are have intentionally hid or refuse to look for signs of harm due to the vaccine or a vaccine program, because the program must survive. You know, I mean, it's this cult like, and so that's what needs to go. And um, and and so um, to move us forward, like into your fantastic work, Jeremy. There are a lot of people now who are beginning to see it and think, and what, and they really want the evidence, and they want deep evidence, and to be able to be articulate. They don't; they're tired of sound bites because they don't know who to trust. So we go to you, Jeremy, and uh, c- could you? Um, Kind of tell listeners and viewers a little bit your, about yourself and why the particular topic of health and vaccines and all of that is so important to you.
2: Well, I was originally just started out doing journalism on on foreign policy in in uh, after 9-11 in, you know, speaking out against Iraq war and, uh, you know, the fear the warmongering against Iran and um, and particular focus grew on the Israel-Palestine conflict. So one of my books is Obstacle to Peace, the U.S. Role in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, And But around, well, 2012, my son was born. And so I just started applying research skills that I had acquired over the years to going directly to the medical literature to research vaccines because we wanted to be able to make informed choices for ourselves for each vaccine on the the, the recommended schedule. Um, I anticipated Finding a disparity between what we were always told about vaccines and what was in the scientific literature, but I was just blown away at just how huge the gap is, and how what we're told that science says about vaccines and what science actually tells us about vaccines are two completely different irreconcilable things. Oh. And then they, once I had acquired yeah. that knowledge, I mean I was doing that for personal reasons, but once I had acquired that knowledge, <laughs> I just came to a point where I, I realized like I cannot not talk about this. I cannot yeah. keep this knowledge to myself. I have to talk about this.
4: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So I started I, writing
2: about it. And now I, it's pretty much all I do.
1: And I'm I'm so grateful to you. And I do want to encourage listeners as you as you hear what Jeremy has investigated and you go look at his in-depth articles. If you have the means, please support him. Um, There's places there you can go to donate, become um, a regular supporter or just a one-time supporter. But journalism like this does not get funded by, you know, big corporations. It requires those of us who really appreciate real journalism to support these individuals who are doing this excellent work. So even a few dollars a month, if hundreds of you do it, it really adds up so that um, Jeremy can keep doing what he's doing. And I'm so grateful to it. I remember years ago, Jeremy, um, when I was, and, it, and it's still there now, it's so appalling. If you go look at the CDC's best practices for immunization and you look at their guidelines, there's one in particular where it's addressing whether or not it's safe to vaccinate a child who is sick. And they conclude that when a child is mildly ill, it's perfectly safe to give them. Um, a whole series of shots. It's it's absolutely fine. As long as they can be recovering, mildly ill, you know, it's fine. And the four citations they give to support this, two of them, I believe, were very small studies in Africa, where the children were sick, and they gave them one vaccine. And they only looked to see if the children were able to like mount an immune reaction. It wasn't a safety study. It was just, could could they mount a reaction to a measles vaccine all by itself right. if they were sick? And another one was looking to see if um, when children visited the ER, if that was a good opportunity to try to get them updated on their MMR. So that was an opportunity study. And the other one referred to a presentation at a conference, and you could not even find the presentation. So there was zero science supporting vaccinating Unwell children, children who are still sick, it's still recovering from something they had had. And I know so many parents who say that their child's vaccine injury that led to either spiraling into autism or just something else, um, their child was unwell and their doctor assured them, oh, it would be fine. So, so that's why I love, I'm going to read again. I love how you describe what your job is You expose dangerous state propaganda that serves to manufacture consent for criminal government policies. And I'd say policies that hide dangers, that tell lies about when something is safe, is very criminal and very dangerous. I mean, you know, don't go after the kids and that's what they're doing. So let's go. Let's get right into your most recent work. Where would you like to start um, educating our, our viewers and listeners here about some of the work you've done?
2: Well, my current project is a major paper exposing the FDA's fraud, its scientific fraud in uh, in issuing its um, emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine for uh, children as young as six months, so six months to four years. It had previously mm-hmm. been authorized for five and up, um, and they more recently uh, authorized it for the for the younger children, um, infants and toddlers. And <clears throat> I just went through the excuse me, the FDA's decision memorandum. And it's so riddled with brazen, just glaring blaze. They don't even try to hide it. It's it's not even concealed. It's really transparent, the scientific fraud that they, they, they perpetrated to authorize this vaccine. Um, for example, I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but just off the top of my head, one of the biggest issues is they didn't have efficacy data that was statistically significant. So you know, the the efficacy data that they had is statistically indistinguishable from zero effectiveness of the vaccine. Um, with with and consistent with the hypothesis of negative effectiveness, which we've seen in studies. And so they they primarily based their authorization on what they what's called immunobridging. They did an immunobridging analysis where they measured the antibodies against the spike protein in the blood uh, of the younger children and compared the antibody levels, the levels of neutralizing antibodies to the levels of antibodies seen in older children and adults who, for whom the vaccine had already been authorized or approved. Uh, and since there was equivalence and similarity in the levels of antibodies, the FDA said, well, therefore these, this vaccine is going to be effective <laughs> but that's a logical fallacy, as yeah. we all know, that in fact, the FDA itself has told the public that you can't use antibody tests to tell if you have immunity. Why not? Well, because they know. And in fact, the FDA acknowledges right in a, its in a, in a decision memorandum that there is no correlate of immunity. The correlates of immunity to, to SARS-CoV-2 have not been established, meaning they don't know what specific um, immune responses correlate to protection. And it's not just antibodies. In fact, fact, there's an inverse uh, relationship between antibody levels and severe disease. And this has been a consistent finding since the beginning of the pandemic, that people Mm -hmm. who develop a high level of antibodies in their blood Mm -hmm. after infection, that correlates with severe disease. Whereas people who who have mild symptoms or, or don't, don't even develop the disease, they're completely asymptomatic, tend to have low, lower levels of antibodies in the blood. So it's not this relationship that the FDA no. is trying to, to claim that, well, there's high level of antibodies, therefore they're going to be protected. This is false. And yeah. the FDA knows that it's false. And yet that was its basis. Not only that, and that, that's just that's just the start of the fraud. And it goes so much deeper than that. Not only that, the, the antibodies that they measured they didn't measure titers of neutralizing antibodies to the to circulating variant to Omicron or
5: mm-hmm. any of its
2: the subvariants. Mm-hmm. They did it to the Wuhan strain, the original ancestral strain that's now extinct outside of laboratories. Mm. Despite knowing, despite having data, they actually queried Pfizer for data on um, on antibody levels on the immunogenicity of the vaccine to Omicron and to Delta, and they showed. So this data that they did get from Pfizer showed that yes, the it, there was like four to six times lower levels of antibodies against the Omicron variant mm-hmm. as it, the original um, ancestral strain. So the FDA knew. I mean, it had the data right there. But it, then it just kind of so it 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 asked for that data, it got it, and it put it in the decision memorandum. And yet for its, for its uh, authorization, for the basis of its risk-benefit analysis, it completely ignored that fact and, and issued its <laughs> authorization on the basis of the titers against the, the ancestral strain. Um, and, and, and also, you know, they originally the protocol of the study was supposed to be a two-dose series. They changed the protocol in the middle of the study because the two doses weren't getting them the antibody levels that they needed. They didn't meet their criteria. Mm-hmm. So the criteria were met by adding the third dose, changing the protocol call to add the third dose, and then measuring against the Wuhan strain instead of the strain that's actually circulating in the population. I mean, if that's not scientific fraud,
1: right? I don't, I mean know, that-
2: I don't know what could possibly qualify as fraud.
1: Yeah, recent uh, conversation with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, he talks about, you know, with IRB approval, and if you are going to change anything about your protocol, you have to go back to the IRB. I don't know if they're handling these EUA clinical trial, um, state of emergency situation differently. It seems as if they are. You know, that whistleblower for Pfizer who said they they didn't do follow anything that they're supposed to follow, basically. And Pfizer's excuse was we didn't have to. The government said we didn't have to use good practices because because emergency, because, you know, I don't know.
2: Well, that's, that's the FDA tried to justify its use of this Im, Im, immunobridging um, analysis yeah. by saying, even because it admitted again, it admitted that there's no the correlates of immunity have not been established, but then it tried to argue that it's not necessary for the correlates of immunity to have to be established. It's it, it just the anti the 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 criteria, meaning their antibody levels, only have to be quote clinically relevant. Well, okay. Yeah, (laughs) that's a logical fallacy. I mean, antibodies to the nucleocapsid protein, which the vaccine doesn't induce because it's only it's designed to to cause your cells to produce the spike protein, Mm -hmm. whereas infection induces immune responses to the whole virus, including the nucleocapsid protein. So the antibodies against the nucleocapsid protein are clinically relevant but the FDA isn't is shouting from, from its walls that, that therefore people who have anti-nucleocapsid antibodies are immune. I mean, it's just such nonsense. I mean, the, the way they try to justify their fraud uh, in the logic that they use, I mean, it's just the whole document is just riddled with logical fallacies, factual errors, for example, mm-hmm. um, reporting a 16-fold increased risk, um, relative risk, of myocarditis after COVID-19 relative risk,
3: right?
1: And that's relative to the like background population. We're not comparing relative
2: to people who were not diagnosed with with not diagnosed.
1: So we're not talking infection versus shot. We're just talking infection versus non-infection, just kids in general. Yeah. Okay.
2: But the thing, but here's the thing, uh, actually that's why I look, you know, this is what I do. I just, I went to their source and I looked it up. Um, the source didn't report a 16-fold increased relative risk. It reported an eight-fold increased relevant, relative risk. Not only that, the authors of that paper emphasized that despite that seemingly high relative risk increase, the absolute risk was like 0.1%. Yeah.
1: Explain to listeners new to the difference, <laughs> relative and absolute so Relative risk. risk
2: is, yeah, comparing. Uh, so for example, relative risk, when you hear vaccine vaccine um, effectiveness estimates. They're talking about relative risk. So when they say it came out with 95% effectiveness in the beginning, um, it's, it's, you know, comparing the risk of COVID-19. Symptomatic infection was the measured outcome in the the trials um, of people in the vaccine group versus people in the placebo group. But so absolute risk is, you know, you, you could have a very high increased relative risk of something and yet still have a very, very, very low risk of that outcome. Yeah. And, and so the authors of this paper pointed this out with myocarditis, that even though there was such an increased relative risk for p- patients who were diagnosed with COVID-19 as compared to those who were not, um, they pointed out that the, the absolute risk is still very low. And they emphasized the importance of presenting both statistics to people so that they can understand their risk. Because if you just present, present the relative risk, it sounds like, oh, my gosh, that's a crazy high risk. Yeah. Um, but then when you put it in absolute terms, that yeah, put that puts it into perspective.
1: And, and that so was the they same... emphasize
2: that in their yeah. paper, the FDA chose not to disclose, to not report right. the, the uh, absolute risk, even though the FDA several years back put out a guidance document for policymakers and providers telling them that absolute risk is always the preferred measure to, right. to provide to people. And that if you don't provide that to people, it can be highly misleading. Um, yeah,
1: and they've done this all along. They did this in the original first EUA for adults. They provided relative risk. And if I can kind of put it in numbers to people, let's say they have in the trial 1,000 people. And, and t- in the whole trial, say 500 in the placebo group, 500 in the vaccine group. And, and you've got, say, 10 people in the placebo group get... Um, COVID and only one person in the, oh, well, I need somebody who does math better than me, <laughs> in, in the vaccine group, right? So they're going to say, hey, Dr. X, you're better yeah. with these numbers than me. This is what you do. So anyway, they're going to say that the relative risk is like 90% because right, exactly. so many more people, but we're only talking about 10 children. So 10 children out of 1,000 were only at risk at COVID to begin with. So the absolute, the reduction of that risk, which is the absolute risk reduction, is very small because these children weren't at risk to begin with.
3: Correct.
2: I hope yep. that
1: helps. Okay.
2: Yeah, and another important statistic is is that we should bring up on that on that note is the number needed to vaccinate the NNV or the number needed right. to treat if it's not yeah. a vaccine NNT, um, where you know they would calculate the you know how many children need to receive the vaccine in order to prevent one case of covid19 which you can't do if you don't if you don't have the absolute risk yeah so you know withholding that it withholds tons of information um, that is really critical i mean any parent does who doesn't understand absolute risk and not only relative risk is not going to be able to make an informed choice but the fda Mm -hmm. of course doesn't want people to make an informed choice so they they deliberately withheld the absolute risk from their own cited study and then and then lied and reported uh, well maybe this was a human error but uh, you know <laughs> I'm being generous and, and, they, and they reported a 16 fold increase risk when the, the, their cited paper was eightfold
1: and then so they they, racially, they absolutely ignore the fact that any minuscule protection may be afforded wanes very very quickly and, and miss the elephant in the room which is and then what you give them another shot and then what you give yes. them a shot and then what what are you doing? And then we get to your wonderful article or, you know, in depth, this is where you really explain well, the imprinting or um, original antigenic sin.
2: Yes. That's another thing the FDA ignored, but back to the immuno-bridging real quick, because you just okay. mentioned that the waning. So that was another element of fraud in their immuno-bridging analysis as <laughs> they only measured antibodies no more, no more than one month after vaccination. Yeah. So, they, but they know that at the antibodies wean over time right yeah which by by their own by their own logic means that the children are going to lose their immunity and yet they didn't measure antibodies beyond a month yeah so, despite knowing that that's going to happen and so again you know they're, they're measuring antibodies against the the, the ancestral st- extinct strain of the virus
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know uh, they're doing this despite the fact that correlates of immunity haven't been established i mean it's just one piece of fraud after another. And that's, yeah. just, that's just what the immunobridging analysis, not to mention everything else that's in, in the document. Um, but that's another big thing, of course, that they're ignoring is, is the way their their risk-benefit analysis, if you look at it and you consider it logically, actually assumes that the entire childhood population is immunologically naive. Even though they know, even <laughs> though they insane. know that as, as of February, three-quarters of children had evidence of natural immunity
6: mm-hmm. and
2: antibodies to SARS-CoV-2. According to the a CDC seroprevalence study,
6: mm-hmm. and that's only
2: increased since. It's probably I mean, who knows. It's probably up over ninety percent or something by now. I'm totally yeah. speculating, but I mean, it's it's going to be higher.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, and so they don't. They didn't show a benefit. They didn't actually show that the vaccine was going to be effective to to any any children, much less that it was going to confer a benefit to children who already have natural immunity. Mm-hmm. And so they're assumption that's inherent in their analysis even though they acknowledge that that the, the 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 benefits of the vaccination are going to be different for children who already have natural immunity than for children who are naive immunologically they acknowledge that in the paper and yet their analysis is is logically premised uh, on the assumption that the entire childhood population is naive um, and so they're, they're ignoring studies of showing negative effectiveness, which ties into original antigenic sin, because there have been numerous studies showing that after, you know, in the time frame of six to eight months after being becoming fully vaccinated, the, 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 the effectiveness wanes rapidly, it disappears and becomes statistically non-significant after just a few months. Uh, in fact, against Omicron after just a few weeks, like the, the level of effective, you know, it, the statistical significance of the effectiveness of the vaccine against Omicron disappears within a matter of weeks. Right, And, uh, so they know this and, and there are studies showing that beyond after that, that time point, again, a, a time period of like six to eight months that, that the effectiveness actually is negative. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be explained in some studies that show that they they try to dismiss that as differences in behavior between vaccinated and unvaccinated people. They're suggesting that um, unvaccinated people really do get infected at a higher rate. It's just that they're not putting themselves at risk as much as vaccinated people. They have different behaviors. And as vaccinated people, maybe they feel overconfident or something. They're going out. Um, There's some there is some plausibility to this, given the restrictions imposed. On unvaccinated people right, right. in governments around the world, um, so there is some there is a level of plausibility to that explanation. And of course, these are observational studies that you know which are prone to selection biases of exactly. this type. However, the fact that this finding is has been reproduced <laughs> by numerous studies, numerous studies using different methodologies and different jurisdictions, finding negative effectiveness after about six months or so, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, on, uh, and you, if you couple those studies with the confirmation by numerous studies that original antigenic sin is a problem with COVID-19 vaccines, yep. it is happening. So what original antigenic sin is, it's a term in the literature used to describe an immunologic phenomenon, um, detrimental of a
6: detrimental
2: phenomenon whereby the initial immune imprinting, of an exposure to an antigen, whether it's an infection or a vaccine, uh, it causes the immune system's response to subsequent infections with variants of that pathogen or or variants of the antigen to not match so that the immune system is stuck uh, producing an immune response to the original antigen, and it doesn't adapt and update itself to the new antigen, so it doesn't match, and so therefore it's suboptimal immunity. So this is known an original antigenic sin.
1: And, and for,
2: about-
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've they've known about it a long time. And for parents who wonder why their child has had six injections of the DTaP slash Tdap vaccine by the time they're in the sixth grade, yep. it's because the pertussis portion of that shot, they have admitted, oops um suffers from original antigenic sin and children who their first exposure to pertussis whooping cough is the shot for the rest of their lives never mount mount a proper antibody response and if they want to have any hope of having suppressed symptoms milder symptoms they have to continually get this shot which of course exposes them to a trivalent shot and aluminum adjuvant and, mm-hmm. and, and more immune skewing and the whole thing. Um, yeah, so they've known about yeah, That's actually that phenomenon
2: with the pertussis, the, the acellular pertussis vaccine is actually a, a slightly different one. It, it's, it's, it's okay. very similar. In fact, I used to confuse them too until, um, uh, someone set me straight on, on the difference, okay. but, uh, it's linked epitope suppression in that case,
4: uh. Uh, which
2: is a complicated term for a complicated phenomenon, but it's, um, it's slightly different from original antigenic sin where where it's not necessarily different strains of of pertussis uh. that it could be the same strain like they're vaccinated for a strain and then later on they're infected with that same strain and it, it's it's the way that the, the immune system was trained by the vaccine which is not the, the same as natural immunity okay. that causes it to, to to causes children to have a suboptimal immune response whereby whereas the kind of the distinction with original antigenic sin is that it's it would be you know a situation where it's a different a different strain that you're you're uh, exposed to and that the, your okay. your immune your immune uh, re- response doesn't match the, the new strain. So they're they're slightly they are very similar in, in effect. Okay. Uh, the effect of both is that um, you have suboptimal immune responses relative to the immune responses of an immunologically naive person. Yeah.
1: See, I told you, I told the listeners, you, you are good. It's been a couple of years since I went down the rabbit hole on that pertussis vaccine. Thank you for correcting me. We always want to use proper language here. Linked epitope suppression. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead.
2: (laughs) Very similar. It's a very similar. And again, the effect is the same. Um, And so what, what, what the studies have shown now is that natural immunity it, it they have documented cases of you know where they've seen original antigenics in in, in cases of infection with severe disease it's mm-hmm. not a, a problem generally with covid-19 where this happens it, it ha- does it can happen with the natural immune response too but it, it it's been seen to happen in cases of dysfunctional immunity where people get severely ill because they have dysfunctional immunity however with the vaccines it is pretty much a, a universal problem with everyone who's vaccinated that what happens is the vaccination imprints that immune response to the spike protein of the extinct (laughs) Wuhan strain of the Mm -hmm. virus. And so when they're exposed to like the Omicron variant, their their immune system is stuck producing antibodies to the original strain, and it doesn't adapt to produce Omicron-specific antibodies because, of course, the Omicron variant has lots of mutations in a spike protein. And so the antibodies don't match, they don't bind as well. They don't, they don't match those epitopes on the spike protein as well. So they don't, they don't neutralize the viruses effectively. Um, whereas people with natural immunity, they do have an adaptive response. And so they may have been infected with the original strain back in 2020. And then later they're infected with Omicron. But their immune system is adaptive and it updates itself. And so their initial immune response might be suboptimal because it might because the header immunological memory, which is, you know, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and so they have immune memory uh, with you know, long term um, memory cells in the bone marrow uh, that might initially produce antibodies that are a mismatch. Like it's it's because it, they're remembering the, the initial infection. Um, but over time the, the immune system basically updates and, and it starts generating more spike specific, uh, variant specific, uh, antibodies as well as, you know, not only antibodies there's cellular immune responses too. uh, and this is another thing. It's not only the antibodies, studies have, have shown also that the, the original antigenic sin effect is also, uh, occurring with cellular immune responses. So T cell Ooh, response,
1: that seems even more not dangerous, only
2: with So, vaccinated people have an impaired ability to generate T cells and antibodies specific to Omicron. And no vaccinated.
1: Yeah, the the Novavax vaccine that was just granted EUA um, uses that original Wuhan spike protein. And they only showed data, it was um, authorized based on its um, impact on people exposed to the original variant of the virus. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's really, and you know, with the novel adjuvant and everything, um, it's crazy. And then listeners need to know too that the monkeypox vaccine was never tested, didn't do true human clinical trials with control groups or anything. They just did some, um, what do they call non inferiority tests against the existing smallpox shot to see if they mounted the same number of antibodies. And said, "Okay, there we go," because they're same pushing thought, that over one. and over again. Yeah, yeah, it's just well, and, over and, and over. That, again. that was another thing in, in the
2: FDA's uh, document. Uh, coming back to that again, I, I keep thinking of these additional instances of fraud and, and the same analysis um, was that they had said uh, that there was precedent for this analysis for them to do the immunobridging. There's precedent for that with other vaccines. So yeah. my response to that is. Well, just because the FDA has committed scientific fraud in the past, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't justify it committing scientific fraud in this case.
1: Uh, yeah, they did that. I know for sure with the HPV vaccine, they did that for the younger children. They did um, uh, immunobridging studies, and and if you look on the insert to the to Gardasil, you will see in there they discuss the immunobridging studies. Um, And then when they went from Gardasil, or the original Gardasil 4 to, or 2 to 4, and then Gardasil 9, they didn't do new studies. They just did some comparison, non-inferiority, even though you've got, yeah, it's all HPV virus in there, but you've got five different strains that you didn't have before. And there may have been other differences. I don't exactly recall, but, you know, FDA didn't make them do new clinical trials at all. They just... You know, and that you know, and we saw that the FDA now is trying to say that every time that these companies want to update the COVID shots, they don't have to do new trials. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and uh, that's another thing with with the um, with the trial for the infants and toddlers with the Pfizer vaccine is they are it was already unblinded.
1: They yes,
2: unblinded the trial and vaccinated away mm-hmm. most of the placebo group. Yes. Before obtaining significant efficacy data, what does that tell you? Well, they don't want—they don't want the data. They
3: don't want to obtain
2: the data. They don't want the study to go on long enough to obtain statistically significant data on efficacy.
3: Well, I mean, the the other thing is with the NHS data that that came out regarding vaccinated versus unvaccinated death versus uh, uh, hospitalizations. Yes and that that was shocking the 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 spread between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated which already shows again original antigenic sin maybe ADE yep
2: all these other yeah and based on data up until the time when the UK government stopped publishing it <laughs>
3: exactly <laughs>
2: yeah showing showing that yes the 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 vaccinated have a higher risk of covid-19 than the unvaccinated yeah and so the like, UK government stopped reporting that data because that's what it, it
4: was showing.
1: Yeah. Now, you know, Javier, you you do research, you do studies. If, if you design studies such as are accepted by the FDA, would you have a job?
3: No, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, at the, you know, it's one of those things that uh, they, the FDA will normally, if you're actually, uh, well, you can't do a, a blinded uh, study with, uh, well, you can do a blinded study with cancer. But the moment that you say, well, we want to unblind it, FD will have to say, okay, why? What's your rationale? And again, did did you go through the IRB for a uh, change in the protocol? And if you haven't, no. And if you have no good reason, uh, we'll just, you know, when we review you, we're just going to consider that maybe a a, a finable offense. Yeah. So that's, again, what we'll Pfizer think. and Moderna is getting away with is, like you said, yeah, Scientific fraud, period.
2: In in this case, they can't say, well, because it was authorized, therefore we unblinded it because because it would be unethical not to give they unblinded it before they had the authorization.
1: Yeah. Well (laughs) they they, can't use
2: that as the excuse. I mean, it just there's there really is no legitimate reason for that to have occurred.
1: Yeah. Didn't they do like crossover? They they designed at least one of their studies, Pfizer, as a crossover study. So after six weeks, only six weeks of collecting data they switched over and the next dose they got the people who didn't get the shots got, you know, got shots this time. So it was by design that there would be no long-term data. I mean, not really even short-term data. At what point does long-term begin? How many weeks is considered long-term versus short-term to me? Six weeks isn't even following out your short-term data.
2: And immediately upon authorization, Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, went before the public announcing that the CDC's recommendation was that all infants and toddlers receive this vaccine and that it was going to protect them against hospitalization and death. Yeah,
1: she There's said they no had data rigorous. On the
2: trial showing that.
1: Yeah, she said that after rigorous trial right. studies. Rigorous. Rigorous. That's right.
2: Yes, <laughs> that's, that was the word she used to describe. And that that's what she claimed that that's what the trial showed. Yeah, she implicitly claimed that,
1: Yeah. I mean, which is
2: just it's just an outright lie. I mean, she's just blatantly no. lying to the public, to parents to get them to vaccinate their children on the basis of a falsehood. I mean, that's completely yeah. false. And of course, they, they're never going to obtain um, data comparing health outcomes, including all cause mortality between vaccinated and unvaccinated children they've made they've guaranteed that that's never going to happen they're never going to be able to have that data so they're never going to be able to make that comparison from randomized control
1: no i i think what they're doing is guaranteeing that they have no future Right. But the CDC and well, FDA are irrelevant. They are fraudsters. They, they, they need to be just go away. Yes. And we'll do Dr. James Lyonsweiler's plan B. I love it. You know, we'll talk about I'm going to have him on and we'll just detail what his plan B is. But he's designed a way to have ethical medicine, um, science performed that cannot be corrupted because the way he's got it designed. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, I agree. I agree with that. I'm very optimistic, actually. I mean, as tragic as it is, on one hand, the authorization of the vaccine is frightening, on one hand, what they're going to be doing to these children and the damage to their immune systems that it's going to cause. That's, on one hand, very negative, frightening. But at the same time, I look at it very optimistically, glass half full, that, I mean, because the FDA's fraud, in this case, is so brazen that it's just it's not hidden away. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's right there. It's in your face and it's so in your face that, you know, I mean, you, you have, um, you know, people speaking out. Um, Who's that doctor? Uh, Macari, I forget. Uh, his name. McCullough?
4: Oh, no, Mac- no, McCullough. no,
2: there's another doctor. He's out of. Like Man, yeah. 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 So that's something he wrote an article recently. Um, he had been contacted him and a, a couple other people have been contacted by people from the FDA and the CDC, like complaining about just how bad that, that they're not doing science anymore. They're not doing mm-hmm. science. I mean, they're not. even I shouldn't even say that. They're not even pretending to do science anymore.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Right.
2: And so it really is. I think it's going to be uh, I think it is going to affect a big shift in in terms of their, you know, their perceived credibility, because that has been one of the major obstacles until now. Um, is that there's so many people who perceive the FDA and the CDC as credible. And, you know, when you have the, you know, social media companies partnering with these mm-hmm. fact check organizations and they're, and they're always relying on, you know, information from the WHO and the CDC and the FDA. <laughs> <that's infallible. laughs> yeah. and it's like they're, they're, that's infallible information. But, you know, that, that's such a joke now and everyone can see what a joke that is.
1: Yeah well not everyone a growing number of <laughs> yes, there there is a frustrating number of people out there yes, even in my little place a very free east tennessee you yeah. see people still wearing masks and 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 the fear and you know it it it's still being promulgated but i do believe we're that this they're they're delivering their own undoing by yeah. you know and so all we can really do right now is pray and i'm so grateful so thankful that the latest numbers are that like less than 2% of parents have gotten their little ones for and under the shot. So let's hope that continues.
2: Yeah. Yeah. From the government's perspective, there's been a disappointing response to their (laughs) authorization.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) Yes.
2: Great that people are, you know, the, the level of awareness today is, so much greater than it was in 2019
1: yes yeah
3: percent agree on that
1: so this new work that you're doing i it was in your newsletter i read about it but i don't see anything yet on your website
2: no it's not published yet i'm still working on it i'm still wrapping up some of the last sections of the paper it's quite lengthy uh it's going to be i i think i'm going to publish it as a a downloadable ebook at this point um and, of course, adapting. that's going to contain all the references and the documents, the, the newsletters. The newsletters I've been putting out are basically just like summary versions of, of sections from the paper.
1: Yeah, I, they're wonderful little teasers for me. It's like, oh, what's Jeremy working on? I can't wait to read that. <laughs> so um, this, I swear it popped up since you've been on the show, this, this little teaser here about... Fact check: COVID nineteen vaccine mRNA and spike protein are not cleared within days. So I'm eager to dive into that. So you, is there more studies showing how long that spike protein's hanging around to wreak havoc?
2: Yeah, actually, there was another. Since I wrote that article, I came across yet another study showing that that the spike protein actually persists for months. And, and mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't as specific as some of the other studies that you know specified like two months, four months. Um, mm-hmm. They just said months. Um, but but what once again so the the fact checkers, the health feedback, which is of course partnered with Facebook to censor truths about yeah. the vaccines that they don't want people to know, um, tried to debunk uh, an article or, or a video or something um, from Epic Times, uh, mm-hmm. where they had said that the spike protein, they had made two claims that they were trying to debunk. One was that the spike protein by itself is is toxic, pathogenic cause causes illness, right? Mm-hmm. And two, that, that the spike protein persists in the body for months. That was the claim that they claimed was misleading and false. <laughs> and yet, <clears> the truth <throat> is that it's, it, there are many studies, and I go over, it's not an exhaustive mm-hmm. list by any means, but ones that I've just, that I've just encountered, uh, mm-hmm. studies showing that, yes, the spike protein by itself is pathogenic, yeah. is toxic, Um, And that is relevant for the vaccine since the vaccines are designed to cause your cells to produce that spike protein.
1: And it does appear, yeah, Dr. Paul Merrick and his trying to find help for those with long COVID or with COVID vaccine injury has found that it appears that the cells, um, that the vaccine was designed for your cells not to clear the spike protein, which sort of makes sense. If you, if you want your body To make something that's foreign, you but you want it to make enough and hang around long enough that your immune system doesn't kill it when it first sees it. (laughs) Um, You would maybe do something. Well, they stabilized it, right? So maybe it's because well, they they had to.
2: Yeah, it's it's encapsulated in a lipid uh, nanoparticle precisely because uh, otherwise the RNA would be rapidly degraded. Yeah. So they encapsulate it specifically to to make it last longer, so that it can get, get to the cells and get into the cells and then and cause the cells to produce the, the spike protein. And it's, it, so that's the thing. And that was the argument that health feedback uses that the spike protein from the vaccine is harmless because the MRNA is rapidly, um, eliminated from your dot body within days. And, and the spike protein is also eliminated from the body within days. That was their claim. <clears throat> Those are false.
6: Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Studies have shown that the mRNA persists for months. Yeah, in the lymph nodes.
1: Yeah, and that and that the spike, the spike protein persists. Right. The genetic, the, the messaging to tell your cells to make the spike protein. It, it it's okay. telling your body to make a genetically modified version of the spike protein, <clears throat> which is much more, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, stable. And your body does not. Your cells, it's 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 tricky. Your cells don't want to get rid of it, which is why right. they're finding you need to, like like intermittent fasting is beginning to help. That, because you go into autophagy and it kind of forces your cells to get rid of garbage, like spike protein. Um, so we've only got a couple more minutes here. So I want to make sure that listeners and viewers can find you. So you need to go to jeremyrhammond.com, jeremyrhammond.com dot com. And then, you know, read some of his great work. And then please, if you can at all go to why is it not showing um, on that? Um, I don't something's all covering it up. There. But in the upper right corner underneath the logo that you now see is a donate button. And please give what you can. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the engineer removed it for me. Um, do what you can to support great investigative journalism. We need more Jeremy's out there. We need to support them in their work because this is what the mainstream legacy media is not doing. They're accepting whatever comes over the newswire as if it's truth and right. it's not truth. They need to do their job. And Jeremy, you model ethical journalism. And I am so grateful for you.
2: Thank you. Yeah. yeah I encourage um, everyone also to sign up uh, right there. You'll see also on my, on my homepage or any page in my site a sign-up form for my newsletter. So definitely get on the newsletter while you're there.
1: Oh yeah, definitely get on his newsletter and then you can know what he's working on. It's so empowering. Knowledge is power. I mean, how often have we said that? And it's, it's absolute, absolute truth. Oh, there we go. Last words, Jeremy.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the discussion and nice to see both again. And we'll have to do this again sometime.
1: We'll definitely will. Thank you. Take care. Be safe. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in a few minutes.
6: If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom, loving truth, telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens to subscribe, go to the
1: During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge we need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org.
3: Org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life radio and visit the website informedchoice.org www.informedchoicewa.org It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution There's only one
1: Welcome back to An Informed Life Radio and 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live on CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is my co-host today, Dr. X, Javier Figueroa. I'm in Tennessee. He's in Idaho. We're streaming to the state of Washington and the greater Puget Sound region and globally on CHD. I I like this. You know, our our reach is large. Our reach is large. I don't know how many people are tuning in. But I, I love being here, and you know, we're adding to the volume. You know, the other side knows how to saturate with good, with, with not good information, with their information, and we need to do the same. So we're we're adding to the volume. And Jeremy Hammond from the last hour, love Jeremy R. Hammond. He's oh yes, he's he was
3: oh and just an in depth of knowledge that I think you know rivals uh many scientists so it's it's incredible
1: he is incredible he's he's learned so much and i i really appreciate his attention to detail and being able to provide that accurate information everything is cited in his articles so um javier this next hour i'm really excited for you to meet um jed darlin have you met him before do you know i don't think i have no okay so uh, I'm going to go I'm going to read. Let's go ahead and bring Jed on and I'm going to read to you this awesome introduction. Hey Jed. <laughs> hey,
0: how's it going Bernadette? Good to see you. Uh,
1: good to see you. And Dr. this is X. Dr. Pleasure X. To meet you as um, well. Javier Figueroa, he's a PhD neuroscientist and right, yeah. um you know, he's yeah, he's the he's the brains on the mama bear, I guess. <laughs> Um, but you got, you got to hear this awesome um, description here of, of yeah. Jed. So <clears throat> Jed Darlin is one of the founders of the Kirkland White House, which is a super PAC founded in 2020 to defeat progressivism in Washington state. When the Antifa riots were scheduled to show up in Kirkland's downtown business di- district, Jed was the first armed citizen to show up carrying his rifle. His presence made its rounds on social media. Photos on neighborhood sites and his appearance on Q13 Fox carrying his rifle prompted other armed citizens to assemble, which led to Antifa canceling their plans to riot and loot in Kirkland. Woohoo! His quote to the Q13 reporter went viral when he called his ri- rifle the de-escalator. <laughs> like it. That clip aired on Dory Munson's Awesome Audio of the Week and went on to win Awesome Audio of the Year on Dory's popular radio show. He has appeared on the Todd Herman Show and the Dory Munson Show several times telling stories about his mega MAGA Make America Great Again, a flowers garden, which was planted outside of the Kirkland White House and was repeatedly vandalized by dozens of self-proclaimed environmentalists. With surveillance videos of the vandalism, Kirkland Police Department was able to catch in sight nearly 70% of the vandals, and to this day, the Kirkland City prosecutors have dropped charges on one vandal and refused to file any additional charges on the dozens of others despite overwhelming video evidence, admissions of guilt, and actual damages. The evidence, however, did make some pretty compelling content on the Mega Flowers Twitter account and proves once again that the progressive left has lost its collective mind. There you have it. There we have it. One of the funnest introductions I've ever
0: read. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bernadette. Yeah. It's really great to see you, Bernadette. And before you go on with anything, I just wanna thank you and Dr. X for what you do and getting the word out there because uh, it is about citizen activism and, and, and getting everybody
3: involved absolutely
1: it it really truly is and and thank you too and you know I've I'm not naturally I've kind of evolved to be this outgoing outspoken Mm -hmm. person but I've had to push my borders my comfort zone in order to do it I you know tell me how you felt confident with first of all, maybe your um your your skills with a weapon, um, and and entering into a public space to stand up and protect. I mean, this is something to me out of the wild West as far as my own life experience. Right. So you know that it was it was wonderful. We need more citizens who have good training and common sense to do what you've done, and we're seeing this. we're We're beginning to see more people standing up and, and doing you know great work. So tell us about yourself, your background that led you to be able to do that.
0: Well, you know, that year, that was a tough year. That's when they started locking everything down, right? And uh, we were actually uh, scheduled to go and, uh, and visit uh, South Africa uh, the day that they closed down the country. So uh, mm-hmm. March 15th of, of 2020, um, we were going to the airport and the, the South African president came on and said, sorry, you're not getting in. Right. Uh, so that day before we left the a- airport, we had gotten a, a two Trump signs. Um, look, you know, I, to this day, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't follow one individual or idolize right. anybody. Right. So the, when the left says you're a Trumpist or whatever, no, no, no. That was my preferred candidate for that particular race. When right. I voted for Trump, in 2016, um, I knew that Hillary Clinton was 100% establishment politician. I had a feeling that Trump was probably 80% chance he's establishment politician. I'm like, I'll take the 80 (laughs) over the 100. And as it goes, I'm going to evaluate this as I would anybody, not like get behind somebody uh, because of their name or whatever. It's let me see your policies. Let me see what you do. And, you know, to this day, like there's a lot of great stuff I think he did. There's probably a lot of stuff that he did that I'm not going to be too happy about. And I don't necessarily totally know what he did because they've kind of keeping, kept the citizens out of the governance of this country. And mm-hmm. uh, that's why it's important. Like what you're doing, Bernadette, I give you such props because uh, it does take that chutzpah, my mom would say. Uh You know, to get out there and do something, and so when you say, "Well, what compelled you to do this or or how did you muster up the the courage to do it so March fifteenth we put out two Trump signs before we went to the airport. We never made it to the airport. We turned around and came back Um, and by the time we got back to our house, somebody had taken the two Trump signs out of the ground and I know you want to hear sort of about the founding of the yeah. White House yeah, so i 'm going to make this super simple for you. I'm going to wrap it all up into one because it's all related. And, uh, so we got back to the house, the Trump signs are out. And, uh, I said, okay, we're going to put out three. So we replaced the first two and we added one. And, uh, you know, I figured why do I have to sort of bow down to the progressive left? I know what's going on. I've done a lot of research. Um, into this stuff, I've been a, a sort of a political researcher for a long time now, and um, let me see. I, I think I lost the feed there. Do you still see me?
1: We still yes. see and hear we you. Still see yes. Me, yes.
0: Okay. Well, I'm gonna try to bring you back on top here, and okay, uh, see if we can.
1: Yeah.
0: We can do this, but um, so I can't. I can't do that right now. But I will. I, if you can still see me, then that's yes. fine. Yes. Yes. Um, so. We so the third sign uh, I put out, and then within a day, they've taken those signs as well. Um, so, what do I do? I, do I back down and say, "Okay, this is too much trouble"? No, I put we put out four signs, and when they mess with those four signs, uh, I said, "Okay, well, let's plant a flagpole because at least they're going to have to try a little bit harder." in yeah. climbing up our rock wall, they're going to have to do something about these flags. And uh, so we planted a flagpole, put the American flag up, and then uh, they've messed with our signs again. So we put up a second flagpole and put a Trump flag up. We just said, you know what? We're just gonna keep doing it. You take a sign down and, and we're gonna do it one harder every time. So within a uh, what, 20 some days, we're talking April, uh, we, we'd had enough incidents on the house where we had 29 flags or signs on our home. And, uh, you know, we just looked, we went across the street and we looked back at the house and we said, you know, that looks pretty good. Um, Anymore though, it's going to get a little bit tacky. Um, (laughs) So we had to figure out something to do, but, you know, uh, we went down to um, Bellevue. I think it was May 30th. Uh, the riders were in Bellevue. or May thirty first. The riders were in Bellevue, and we went down there. I got a condo uh, in Bellevue, so I want to make sure that, that they weren't destroying. I saw what they did in Seattle, and I, I wanted to make sure that they weren't uh, doing anything uh, that was going to damage my property. Uh, so we went down. We saw. We, I think their their protest was scheduled for three o'clock, and by three <laughs> fifteen, they were rioting. There were groups of people breaking in uh, into the mall. And uh, we, we got out of there. I mean, it was not a safe place to be. Uh, so we left. And then, man, we got word the next day. Uh, there was an email that went out to the business owners in Kirkland that said Antifa had scheduled to be there for the next two days. And they suggested that, that the businesses board up their, their windows. And uh, we just, we just saw the response from the police in, in Bellevue and they just weren't able to do anything. Their hands were tied. They were told sort of not to engage. I think the only arrest that was made that day in Bellevue was by a Kirkland police officer um, that was helping them out. So okay. one arrest lots of money and damage and uh, June came and uh it was June 1st and we got the message in the morning, probably about 10 o'clock. I said, Okay, I, I gotta run. Um, Jenny says, Well, wh- where are you doing? I said, Well, I don't have a sling for my rifle. And I'm gonna go downtown and carry. Because we'd seen uh citizens in Viewcrest, the little community uh by downtown Bellevue, blocking off their entrances with rifles. I thought, you know, that's a great idea. Open carry is legal in Washington State. Mm-hmm. You know, you can protect property. So uh I, I went to the gun stores and there was like this rush on gun stores at that time and the lines it, were out the door. And, uh, so I said, I don't have time for this. I got to go downtown and uh, to downtown Kirkland. So I'd run to two different gun stores. It was going to take too long for me to go buy a sling. So I went home and I got a, uh, a strap off of one of my duffel bags and, um, <laughs> yeah. and I put it around my gun and I went down there. I got lots of ammo. I had my concealed carry and, um, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought that, um, I thought that if I went down there and showed people an example, and I didn't go down with by myself, I went down uh, with Jenny and she had my back, you know, she was, uh, she was open caring as well. And, but we were the first people down there and I knew something was going to happen. You know, how I knew there were all these media trucks and cameras down there and the shop owners were putting up their, Plywood and the media was getting their tripods out, and uh, people would drive by and they're like, "Hey, is that legal?" And I said, "Yeah, of course it's of course legal. It's yeah. open carry." And they so they say, "Well, I'll be right back. I'm going to go home and get my rifle. I'll be right down." So I knew I had the support, but there were also people that were snapping photos, putting it on neighborhood sites, and that's what I needed. I needed for the message was out that Kirkland was ready. And if you're going to come here, you're going to be following the laws. And there was a, there was a BLM protest there that day. And we were totally supportive of anybody expressing their first amendment rights. Right. And I don't have to agree with their message, but I, I, I respect their right to have their message. And I didn't want like the message that was trying to get conveyed in Bellevue for their, um, for their message to be diluted by rioting and looting. That's right. So I, I knew that I was there not to be antagonistic or intimidating. I think there was another clip on the news on that same clip where uh, some, some guy says, well, they're intimidating people. I'm like, who are, who are we intimidating? All, I'm getting thumbs up and, and thank yous from all the business owners. you know. Yeah. Um, but pictures went out, people came down. We had about 30 people, 30 patriots down there, open carrying by the time Antifa was scheduled to, to come through. And they uh, sent their scouts down on bicycles with masks and helmets and all blacked out. You could tell the difference between the people who were there to vote uh, to protest for BLM in a legitimate protest right. and who was there to cause trouble. So they had they sent about six people down on bikes. And one of the business owners on Park Avenue told us that she heard um, one of the scouts on his phone. He got off his bike and he was talking, or, you know, uh, stopped on his bike and was talking to whoever the other organizers were and said, we've got to cancel Kirkland. There are too many armed citizens. So we knew at that point, like we won. We, the message was heard, um, the BLM protests went on. By the end of the day, there. I mean, they, we started off, there were a lot, a handful of those protesters They were not happy that we were there. Uh, they thought that that was sort of, um, you know inti- meant to be intimidation but by the end of the day i think there was only one person that just wouldn't listen to reason including his own friends and we were getting along sharing waters with them and snacks and stuff like that by the end of the day and they were peaceful and they did their protests and i don't have to agree with their message but i'm happy that they got to get it out there without the interference of another group and um <laughs> and so that was that and and it was, you know, you, Bernadette, you are nervous. And I'd never gone down and open carried in the downtown district before. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I knew that I was in my right to do it. And I I know gun safety and uh, I have a lot of experience and I did have live rounds. I didn't have any of my guns chambered, um, but I didn't know if there was going to be trouble or not. And whenever you are in a position where you have a gun for self-protection, you're, and it's visible, there's always the opportunity for somebody to take that the wrong way and use a weapon against you uh, saying they were threatened. I mean, we saw what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. Right. So, um, you know, but I knew I was in the right and I knew that people needed to stand up and, and that was the time. But that just started a waterfall of events and I'll let you kick in if you want, or I can just go on to, uh, sort of what led on from there.
1: Yeah. I want to hear that, but you know, the way you describe it, it made me remember again, how everything was being put on like a show. Who sends out advance notices that we're going to be here in so many hours and, and on these particular days and gives the media time to, you know, and we we were hearing reports from different cities of pallets of bricks being conveniently left here and there. I mean, the whole thing seems so so staged. And we did but- see
0: pallets of rocks in uh, at the uh, Bellevue one of the Bellevue malls. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so uh, I mean- and that's.
3: It's that's an organized exactly. effort right exactly it's an indication this is something that's been uh, popping around uh some a lot of intelligence uh, ex-intelligence officials said this is a coordinated intelligence operation yeah and it's not could be a, you know either an international or, or a private intelligence operation yeah and a lot of the stuff that you start seeing like for example minneapolis portland what were the areas that were attacked it was the uh you know was basically the, these areas to designated as special tax uh, zones right and so, right. what do you do? I did do see you, that the overlap. More, yeah. yeah, the overlap is is just too much, and it's too coincidental. And the fact that you had people basically assessing the situation, saying, "Is this going to be outside of our contract? Where we're going to get shot at? Potentially? Yeah, yeah we don't. We, this is not part of the contract. But we're we're going to back off. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. You, you told us the cops couldn't do anything, and then all these people show up. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And the cops gave us high fives and thumbs up and they, you know, they were grateful after I listen. I had a lot of interactions with the Kirkland police department and I really, uh, you know, I thank them for their service because they they do know what's right and what's wrong. And they, you know, I think when you, you see the sign a cab, right, all cops are bastards. That's fundamentally not true. Not all cops are good. I can agree with people on that, you know. But uh, I, most, if not all, of the people that I dealt with at the Kirkland Police Department, outstanding. And you know, they don't want to just protect my rights; they want to protect the rights of every individual, and that's their job, and 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 that's why they're there. And when you have other people violating individuals' rights, that's where they step in. That's their job, and. It's to protect the rights of another, and and uh, mm-hmm. so I just really they they did a great job. Um, but you know, when your police chief has um, a, an order from, in this case, probably the city manager uh, and the city prosecutor's office, the same, um, you, there is no justice, right? And uh, they can't do their job. And that's I feel sorry for a lot of them. I know some of them uh, left that department and went to others where they're they're able to. to to fulfill the role of their, you know, what they've signed up for, but uh, yeah, it's a fundamental breakdown. I think it all leads back to progressivism, which is sort of why we started Kirkland White House.
1: So yeah, so go on. We haven't quite got to how you got the name yet.
0: Yeah, well, so this is the great, and I wish I, I knew how to contact our our old postman, but uh, Mike was his name, and he retired shortly after all this uh, happened, right around that time. But one day he had delivered our mail and he came back around uh, the block and he never did that. You know, that wasn't part of his route to come around the block, but he showed up at the door. He says, uh, hey, I and he really never came to the door, but he, he said, hey, I got to tell you um, that one of your neighbors up the street, she says, uh, so what do you think about the Kirkland White House? And he says, what? She says, what do you think about the Kirkland white house? And he says, you mean the house on the corner with all the signs and flags? And she says, yeah, the Kirkland white house. And so he told me this story and I just cracked up. I, and he was laughing. And I look, I look outside and I'm like, the house isn't even white Mike. And, uh, he's like, no, no, it's gray. It's gray. And, um, Two weeks later, I flagged him down because we had decided it's time to get involved seriously in what in the political situation in Washington and uh, with the city manager there in Kirkland, uh, being like helping write the manual for ICLE, which is like an offshoot of the United Nations. Uh, they're they're thinking global and acting local. Well, they're doing it right now in Kirkland, Washington. Um, and they've signed up to be this sort of, uh, you know, entity of not the United States and right. but the United nations. I think they proved that, uh, to everybody this year when they for fireworks for the third year in a row for independence day. And instead of calling their parade an independence day parade to celebrate the independence of the United States, they called it celebrate Kirkland, uh, their marching band marched around in outfits. It's like they received a memo that said, whatever you do don't wear red, white, or blue. They wore purple, pink, black, orange. Uh, the marching band went around uh, doing instrumentals to CeeLo Green's Forget You, which if you listen to that in in concert, he would say, uh, uh, when you're driving around town with the girl that I love, and he doesn't say forget you, he says the F word. Um, oh, yeah. So. So for Kirkland to represent their celebrate Kirkland parade that that occurred on July fourth and cancel <laughs> fireworks that day and, and have their uh, their band marching around in uh, other than patriotic colors saying f you that wow. that kind of is just like you need to bow to your servants and you celebrate Juneteenth now people uh, or or serfs or. What wow. I, what are we calling the people that fall for this stuff and keep voting these people into power? Um, so we, we were starting a super PAC. And so two weeks later I flagged down the postman. I'm like, Hey Mike, or no, Mike comes to the door. I didn't flag him down. He comes to the door with one piece of mail in his hand. And he used to put everything in the mailbox, one piece of mail in the hand. And he says, I just had to come to the door and give you this in person. And he handed me uh, It was a tax uh, identification notice from uh, the IRS. We had, we had applied for our EIN, for our super PAC, and we had given it a name. And we called it the Kirkland White House. And Mike says, well, where did you get this name? And I'm like, Mike, we got it from you. <laughs> we got it from you, man. Thank yeah. you. But it turns out there are a lot of people in town, uh, the students at Northwest University, they were uh, already calling us the Kirkland White House. So that was the name the liberals gave us. And I, I couldn't have come up with a I be- I mean, my background's in strategic branding and marketing consulting. I could not have come up with a better name. We just had one problem, Bernadette. We had to paint the house white. So, <laughs> so we eventually did. That came much later. Um, that came uh, sort of toward the fall. Um, But you know, we had all these signs and flags, right? And uh, they're still gonna vandalize. So I said, you know what we should do? They're now throwing eggs at the house. We had explosives thrown at our door just before Independence Day that year. Um, The uh, Kirkland canceled their fireworks that year as well. Uh, That was for, they canceled it because of COVID. They didn't want people to be, you know, social. They wanted people to social distance. So they canceled it. That was the reason they gave. Subsequently, they canceled the next year because of wildfires, but Kirkland sets off their fireworks on a barge out in the lake. So you can figure that one out and get back to me. Um, But uh, so they canceled the fireworks. So I said, we're going to Boom City. And, you know, Boom City is the the, uh, Indian reservation up north, and we got a bunch of fireworks. Um, And about 10 o'clock, I guess, that night when it got real dark, we we closed off uh, the road there uh, in front of the Kirkland White House. And we put on our own fireworks show for uh kirkland and we had a bunch of people show up um and and then uh you know some of the people are like uh oh, freedom and they call the police they're like oh they're lighting off fireworks and stuff and so we we uh i don't know he must have just parked down the street and watched the rest of the show but when the show was over we uh we played the National anthem to everybody that was there. Everybody's standing there with their hands over their heart, and the national anthem's playing. And the big flag on the house is all lit up, and everybody's standing, looking at the flag. And the police officer pulls up, and you have to imagine there are shells all over the street, right? And I'm not going to use the officer's name; it's irrelevant at this point. But uh, he got out of his cruiser, he put his hand over his heart, he finished the national the, the pledge, the national an- anthem with us um and i went down and spoke to him and he says uh so i got a call about some fireworks and i said oh yeah and he said and he's kicking around some of the shells with his foot on the street there and, and it's just covered right and he says but i don't see anything so i guess i'm out of here and uh <laughs> i said oh yeah he says how was it <laughs> i said it was <laughs> awesome <laughs> And uh, that was that. I'm sure they called them the next year, too, uh, because we did even bigger show uh, the next year because they canceled it for Wildfires, which was just a joke. And uh, anyway, nobody ever showed for that. I think they they decided not to show up. And uh, but, yeah, one thing led to the other. So Jay Inslee, Bernadette, you were still in Washington at the time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yep. Jay Inslee says, um, you know, no fireworks. Uh, And that's what they said in, uh, actually, that, that was just the city of Kirkland. No fireworks. We're not doing fireworks. And then they, what what else did they cancel? He said, Oh, no, no gatherings of more than 10 people. And we had, by the time we had all these flags and signs out, people are driving by saying, Hey, how do we meet other conservatives? And I, I look around and be like, you know, I don't know. And that happened for like a month and a half. And I'm, I'm out there now, we've decided we're planting the MAGA flowers, which is totally another uh related story, right? But I'm outside all the time, people drive by, they say, well, where, where do we meet other conservatives? And I couldn't tell them. And so I said, I talked to Jeremy, went in the house, I said, you know, honey, I've had like 25 people this week ask me where to meet other conservatives and I need to start giving them an answer. So I said, we're gonna, we're gonna host barbecues at our house every Sunday at three o'clock and she says well okay okay and so we did and we called them summer Sundays and I made up these flyers and the next people that asked me where do we meet other conservatives our house Sunday three o'clock and you know people showed up first week we had 25 people uh the second week we had like 45 people word spread we had like 80 to 100 people Every Sunday at our house, and it, we, we did it because uh, one, we were getting all these questions, but also, Inslee said no gatherings more than ten people, and we said, "You're not a king, you're not a dictator. We're going to show people publicly that these are these mandates are not law." So we held the parties on our front uh, our front lawn by all the flags and all the signs and by the maga flowers. And people would show up, and uh, people would tell people. And there are still, to this day, stories going on about the Kirkland White House. And and it's amazing what kind of impact it had. This word is still spreading. Have you, and people, I hear stories, have you been to the Kirkland? No, but I've heard of it, you know? And Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: um, and we we only did it that summer, right? We, We only did the summer Sundays for the summer when everything was sort of locked down. But then, yeah, you're right. Jay Inslee canceled Halloween. So we put on uh, a haunted house around the perimeter of our house. We, we invested a lot of money in bringing some joy to an otherwise devastated community, uh, one that hadn't been together for several months. Um, he cancels haunted houses. So we put up with live actors a huge display. Uh, we advertise it by putting some of the props out by the street early on and and publishing some videos on the neighborhood sites on facebook and we had 1200 people (laughs) go through our haunted house on i think it was a friday and a saturday that year and we handed out bags of kit of candy to kids since they weren't going to be trick-or-treating and it was just an amazing community event and there was no politics involved right our trump signs were still out because it was before the, the, the election, and we had signs out for some of our other favorite candidates at the time uh, mm-hmm. that we believed to be conservatives and had the best uh, for us in mind. But, um, and then he canc- canceled, Inslee uh, canceled after that, Inslee canceled, um, what, it, Kids on Laps with Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you still with me? Because I had a little bit of an audio problem.
1: Yeah, we okay. can still hear you.
0: Okay, great um so uh so inslee canceled santa can you believe it and um there were a lot of families i knew that were looking for the traditional santa claus photos and if you went to any mall or any santa photo place you got a mask on you got a piece of plexiglass between you you're not allowed to sit on santa's lap santa's has a mask on And so we said, okay, we're going to do Santa photos and a Christmas light show. And we decorated, we went straight from Halloween to the most magnificently decorated house. We got on, um, uh, was it Como News, I think did the Friday night lights or it was Q13, that did Friday night lights. We had Deborah Horn out there from, uh, from the the CBS affiliate, um, I think it was, CBS but she came out and did a story on our they called them pandemic parties but we called them summer Sundays um, th- they called them pandemic parties because there were only a few people that decided to wear masks at our event we were very supportive of anybody who wanted to wear a mask at our events we actually uh, we had a, a stash of them that they could pick up and hand sanitizer but by the end of the season we still had only opened one ba- bag of uh, uh, one box of masks and we st- We had some pretty full hand sanitizer uh containers by the end of the season um but yeah santa came out we got santa we got the santa that normally goes to cozumel mexico and man he was the real santa and
1: um, (laughs) the real one you got the real one one.
0: we got the real one and we we and we got a professional photographer out there we didn't make anything on the gig right and he he had pretty decent pricing so if people wanted photos they could get photos from him we didn't make a dime on that. We had the uh, conservative ladies of Washington
4: mm, uh, donate
0: awesome. fresh-made cookies, so we had a cookie station and cider, and we put out a little donation thing, and we got money back from the community that paid for any of the expenses that we had, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the goodies and, and stuff like that. But we also asked people to donate toys uh, to the Salvation Army, so we had the barrels out, and by the time the season was over with the lights and everything because some people would come by every night and see which new lights we'd added, and we finally put the whole thing to music. We wound up donating like five of those big barrels of toys to the Salvation Army by wow. December 13th so that they could get them out to
5: the kids
0: mm-hmm. uh, in need. And, and so we, we were really community focused, but we really wanted to show people that because your government, like somebody in your government, tells you you can't do something, sorry, you're the boss. You get to decide what you do and mandates aren't laws and uh, you you have to make those decisions for yourself. Become well-informed by you know, watching people like you and, and other sources and get your own information um, and decide what's best for you and your family because in the end, I, I think that's the most important thing.
1: I, I love how you did everything so respectfully too right? I mean, everything that you have said, yeah, you were very bold. You were courageous, but you were respectful too. You did provide masks if people wanted them. You know, you were, you know, when you were downtown Kirkland, you weren't, didn't want to interrupt free speech. You just wanted to make sure that no harm happened. And if I don't
0: protect their rights, how can I expect
1: anyone to protect
0: mine? You know? Right.
1: Yeah. Just, you're such a great role model. I, I feel. And, and, you figured out early may i don't you know whatever so whatever your life journey brought you to you know the uh, 2020 you sort of seem to understand already what it meant to be an american which sure. is a balance between you know it's that freedom but i'm part of a community and so yeah. many americans are just complacent and they didn't they everything uncompliant Oh, whatever you tell me to do. And and they we've kind of lost our ability to stand up and question respectfully. And when we disagree, realize laws aren't being something's unethical, immoral, illegal, whatever, lost our collective nerve. But it's taken almost three years and role models like you. And I think people are figuring it out what it really means to be an American. And so it's it's very exciting.
6: It is. It is.
0: Yeah. And it's different sort of everywhere in the world. Now you moved to Tennessee. When mm. did you do that? Can I ask? Uh,
1: Yeah. End of October, um, 21. And yeah. So I tell you, I mean, our first parade that we attended was a Christmas parade and it was Mm -hmm. loaded with red, white, and blue and it was Christmas. And we actually marched in the Fourth of July parade here it was anybody who wanted to march could you just went and got in line and and my husband dec- we decorated his truck with children's health defense banners okay. and and i had two new uh, moms that i have met here and we handed out business cards with children's health defense information and and it was it, the whole thing was very patriotic and and so child friendly, but, and I think it was, I can't remember the theme, but it was about remembering it's Independence Day and what that actually means. So we had a (laughs) true Fourth of July. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's so different than Kirkland.
1: Yeah, and the fireworks here were so big. We were actually really tired, so we didn't drive down into town, but I read the next day that the fireworks here made like U.S. news because the satellites could pick it up. It was so big.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) yeah it's a really Um, good feeling you know those fireworks it's not just pretty lights i mean that symbolizes some really important stuff and that's sort of what these progressives want us to forget and so that that feeling you get when big fireworks explode in the sky and you get that rumble in your chest that just makes me it just kind of brings a tear to my eye because of all the sacrifices that people have made to get to this point.
1: Right. And, you know, I want to say I I have a dear friend who posted um, like did this Twitter post saying that she never salutes the flag, never um, says a pledge of allegiance or any of that sort of stuff because she is so appalled at where our country is. Did she start and, a
0: GoFundMe for a one-way ticket to somewhere else? Because
1: No, you know, I'm trying to, I have a lot of grace in my heart for people that I, you know, I know that she's a good person with a great soul, sure. but she's sure. standing from this perspective. And what I want to say is that if you believe that where the country is now is a country you don't believe in, that's even more reason right. to pledge allegiance sure. and to remember what this country what truly is. Yeah. right because we need to get back to the foundations of freedom I, and I and that, that right. will fix things but you know if you don't want to honor this country what do you want what are you saying that you want the u.s to go away what do you they, want in its place
0: yeah right i think they <laughs> right? just want to be told what to do that's what it seems like right you just tell us what to do um we're lacking leaders right let's let's uh demasculinize men and get rid of the toxic masculinity and and uh let's get more women in the workplace and and break down the family i think i, I mean this battle bernadette this has been going on for decades right and uh,
4: yeah.
0: and i you know I, listening to uh your your last uh interview um you know he mentioned sort of uh what one of the things that got him activated was nine eleven. 9 11. and um
4: mm-hmm.
0: i don't i don't talk about this very much but um that's exactly the moment that I became uh, active in my country and the governance. Um, I was studying architecture in, back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, architecture, I was in my third year. So we were studying materials and assembly. And I was working on a project for steel buildings. And I had just studied the World Trade Centers. And uh, a friend called me and said, a plane has hit uh, Tower One. And I was it woke me up. and And I, and I said, Well, Uh, you know, I I was sleeping at the time and, and I said, Oh, well, that's, you know, I'm thinking God, that's too bad for the micro light or the Cessna. That guy's dead. You know, that's what I was thinking. And I actually went back to sleep and she called me back and she says, Jed, another, another plane has hit the other tower. We're under attack. And I, that got me out of bed, you know, what's going on here. And I went and turned on the news and I watched two, what seemed to be two passenger airplanes fly into the towers. And she asked me, what's going to happen are the towers going to collapse and i told her straight away absolutely not that's impossible that's not going to happen the fire will burn it will burn out uh steel melts it doesn't collapse and then with an hour later i mean steel's got a four hour fire rating on it anyway an hour later those buildings that were actually built like bird cages double double the steel in the wall that they were supposed to have to stand up they came tumbling down to their footprint and the steel at the bottom of the building hadn't been compromised, then I knew uh, you better start paying attention because I think my parents had voted for Bush and I thought, oh, he was probably the better choice. I hadn't really voted in, in many elections, if any, at that point. And I said, well, geez, I got to pay attention because it's you can't just judge somebody by the letter after the Oh, we lost your audio
5: there.
1: We're not Are you hearing us? We're not hearing you. Let's see. So while he fixes his audio there, um, Javier, if you want to chime in with your thoughts on that. No, nope, we're not hearing you. Can, can we hear you? Jed, you your microphone cut out and you're muted. You're still muted. What about Javier? Can we hear you?
3: Yeah, I, I can hear you as well. You can hear me.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So while he tries to fix his audio there, I'll, I'll let Nathan, the engineer, try to work with him. But Javier, why don't you go ahead and just kind of chime in on, I mean, it's interesting that he was studying engineering and um this is completely off topic from where we right. were, but I've I have visited the um what is it, the architects and engineers website where five thousand yep. of them said that what what happened couldn't have happened unless something had been done beforehand. Like right professional demolition set.
3: Exactly. And again, most of the people don't understand that, that, you know, to, to bring, well, the other one is also world trade center three, which was, wasn't hit by an airplane. No, it for fire damage, but also collapsed in its own footprint. And that yeah. was, that was also one of the more shocking aspects of it. Yeah. It's not just world trade center one and two that collapsed on their own footprint. Yeah. And another uh, building that was untouched collapsed, And there's so many images of it just pancaking down. Yeah. And again, the parallels here with what we're seeing right now is you have experts that are saying, no, this is impossible. This yes. could have never happened unless X, Y, and Z happened. And then we've got uh, public health officials saying, you know, well, we've never locked down before, but mm-hmm. it's going to work for some reason. We just yeah. know it is.
1: Well, this is what the government is really good at. When they're faced with information that is factual, yeah. but they don't want to deal with it, they absolutely ignore it. And then they begin to. To push out there that anybody who says this information is a nut. Right. That you're crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. You know, it's misinformation, disinformation, false information. So they ignore officially, and then underneath and through the media, they begin to discredit anybody Correct. who says otherwise. So this is the plan for so many things. I mean, they've they've done it with um. With climate change, and right. I've been so focused on pharmaceutical corruption and corporate capture of FDA and stuff, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole um, of climate change. So I really right. don't know the science of that or not. But I, what I do know is that if you dare speak up and say that you disagree with it, you're shot down as a nutter, a Correct. flat earther, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And in fact, I was once at a at a a ridiculous presentation by a, a, a journalist, a reporter with um, KUOW in Seattle. Oh, yes. And she pretty much said that giving airtime to anybody who questioned vaccines was the equivalent of giving airtime to people who doubt climate change, <laughs> which was the equivalent of people who are flat earthers and be- believe in Bigfoot. Right. So that discrediting. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. it
3: has to be constant because people keep on pushing, pushing against it. And unless yeah. you're out there actively discrediting or at least actively mocking people yeah. for actually doing the work and saying, I disagree with you. Uh, you, you're, you're up against a, a fairly well organized, uh, a group of, uh, of marketers yeah. that know how to sell a story. So it's, it's just, uh,
1: I'm in, just to say it looks like Jeremy's trying to call in. Were you able to call in, Jeremy? There
0: we
3: go.
1: There we go. <laughs> Woohoo!
3: Okay.
0: My my headset died and I'm on somebody else's computer. Okay. So can you hear me okay now?
1: Yep. We can hear you okay. So we had a great little side conversation. But what I want to do, I just noticed, you know, we're kind of get up there in time. And there is something currently going on, in Jed and Javier, that I want you to look at. Um, the, let's see, the first one is, And we'll go through this pretty quickly here. Um, The directive of the governor that came out on June 30th, that says that all Washington state executive and small cabinet agencies are henceforth going to be required to get the COVID-19 shots and any and all boosters that the CDC recommends.
3: Are required.
1: Requires. And then what's really interesting, look at this final statement. Guidance to other agencies I recognize the difficulties of implementing this directive to maintain the health and and reduce, I almost put seduce, and reduce the long-term impacts of COVID-19 on our state workforce. I call upon our higher education institutions, boards, and commissions, and other separately elected officials to consider similar requirements within their agencies and jurisdictions. So be on the lookout for you know all arms of government you know anything that's tied and then we know with the higher institutions be on the lookout for them um and then okay so then i wanted to share also with you let's see i've got what let's look at what a small cabinet agency is so here we have board of accountancy African American Affairs Commission, Arts Commission, School for the Blind, Board of Industrial Insurance Appeals. Um, look at all of these. So all of them now fall under the purview, if I'm understanding it correctly. Um, so, and then I I had pulled up and I um, I'll just go ahead and read it in the because of the time, the executive cabinet includes the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Commerce, Department of Ecology, Department of Enterprise, uh, Office of Financial Management, Department of Health, Department of Financial Institution. So all of the major state agencies, this is, this is going toward. And then, but without making a public announcement claiming, that they're exempted from this public announcement because it affects state employees. One of our great Lisa with Informed Choice Washington, this is why you need to join your your groups because, you know, sometimes we find things that we want you to know about. Excuse me. She found, this is the right one. That the Washington State Department of Health has filed proposed rules that they want to put forward, and it will require any state employee to be vaccinated for COVID and all of the um, boosters as well. So this pushes out beyond what um, Inslee as governor has like, he's considered like the boss of certain state agencies, but he can't go out to all state employees. Right. So then now the department of health is doing it. They're claiming there's, they say their statutory authority is something um, they, by the civil service laws. I don't think so. I think, I, I don't see how the mm-hmm. definition of, of, you know, Things that apply to civil servants means you can mandate vaccines to these civil servants. So I really hope somebody's listening or Jed, maybe you know the right people to reach out to. We to sue because uh, yeah. tyrannical
0: stuff, Bernadette. This is yeah. this is this is absolute tyranny, medical tyranny. I don't know why they want everybody to get this experimental death shot. Um, holy smokes. You know what? My body, my choice, these people need to say no. Um, if enough people say no, the, the system will collapse. I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm not calling for anarchy, but you know what? We need to change the slate of legislators. They're, they're attempting to destroy our country. And I, I hope that, you know, citizens standing up and standing out uh, doesn't facilitate that. But at some point, um, you got to change the old guard. These people have lost their minds. We, we yeah. elect them. They serve us. Right. You don't tell me I've got a stick an experimental uh, jab in my body. And oh my gosh, there's so much research now uh, that's come out. What is the experiment not large enough already? Do we really need to subject all state employees to this as well? The results are in. There's more data to support that that vaccine uh, causes autoimmune deficiencies in people. Which I there was a there was another disease that we had that caused an autoimmune disease response. But I can't think of the name. Um, and AIDS? Oh, yeah.
3: Autoimmune
0: <laughs> deficiency syndrome. Vaccine
3: oh, induced autoimmune deficiency syndrome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't know why they want everybody to give themselves AIDS. You know? But yeah. I'll tell you what. Uh, I've lost absolute uh, trust in the medical system. I've lost yeah. absolute trust in, well, what there was of the World Health Organization. But you know that also came out of the United Nations. And I've lost all all trust in the private organization, the CDC. Uh, these people, um, look, I, there's no punishment that can be given out. Uh, I, I'm sure, let's just say they'll probably meet their, um, they'll probably get what they deserve at some point. I, I, I just can't um, believe that so many people fell for this and mm-hmm. you you see these these uh, research papers coming out today and then the people in the camp where they're like oh you have to get all the booster they're they're in there actually defending sudden death and healthy athletes right. and healthy individuals um it's a this is a sickness and at some point there's a psychosis that goes along and i'm not a doctor listen i i have no authority to say this but i imagine that there is a psychosis that goes around this. And I don't know if it's induced by the shot or if it's just a natural psychological problem that people are experiencing. But man, it is weird out there. And, uh, <laughs> and it's super weird in, in Kirkland, where the Kirkland White House was. Um, you know, we moved, Bernadette. We moved. It sounds oh. like we moved about a month uh, before you do. We now live in the great state of Texas. And oh. when we moved there, I told everybody, hey, we're political refugees. And we decided, uh, political refugees from Seattle, and we mm-hmm. decided it, what we wanted to find out what it would be like to live in America. So,
4: <laughs> yeah. so we
0: moved down there. Listen, we've been well received, right? Um,
1: and so, but happy to, your uh, your Kirkland White House website still there? Is that oh, yeah. it's still going strong though? People can still can contact we, you there. Okay,
0: we. We, it is a super PAC, so it, is, it can be operated anywhere in, in the country. We no longer uh, reside at that address. Um, it left a huge hole in the Kirkland community. and you know mm-hmm. for that, we're truly sorry. But like you said before, the hole we left in our community will be filled by patriots who have learned to stand up and stand out and get involved. Mm-hmm. And so we felt like we had given people the, the strength and the uh, brevity to get up and do something for themselves. Listen, if they don't, it's going to fall. It's all going to fall. Right. And uh, that's the message that we tried to get across. And, you know, the MAGA flowers, people are like, why would you write MAGA in your flowers? And it still says on like our Twitter handle MAGA flowers because progressivism is communism is just another name for communism, didn't fit when written in Petunia. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
4: And, All you know, right. yeah, we gotta- I don't
0: care if you're a Republican or Democrat. If you love America, yeah. like, you've got a place in my heart, and I'm your, I'm your friend, and I'm your teammate, yeah. and we're going to make this stuff happen. But these people who are just like, they'll follow one political line. They won't yeah. think about how it impacts them or how it impacts future generations. This is the real virus.
1: This, this is, is the, the real virus. virus.
0: uninformed. And,
1: and with that, Un- I, I, I got to cut you off, Jed. I love yep. you. I'm going to have you back on. So oh, please do. thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. X. Everybody, just keep it up. Keep, stay strong. Stay American proud. You've been listening to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHDTV. We'll see you next week. If you're looking
6: for Jeff. a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The Flame paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
4: Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, President of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
5: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you.